take a deep breath Take the higher road That's what they always say As if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself Cause life ain't just a dream You make your own So kick and scream The people will like With a never ending force You never had the chance So what you waiting for The day has come my friend Cause this is war It seems as if we are experiencing an alarming increase in the frequency in which we are seeing otherwise young and healthy individuals die suddenly. And unfortunately, it appears that as a society, we have become all too comfortable and accepting of a narrative that tells us that this is somehow normal. It's always been this way. And this is why we are hearing over and over again. That's what we keep hearing. But many of these cases of sudden death have occurred within as few as one to 20 days following COVID vaccination. Yet any attempt to make that correlation is met with extreme hostility and flat out denial that it could be in any way related to the jab. Let's take a deep dive into this and some other anomalies that we've been witnessing lately with one of the world's foremost experts on COVID-19. You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. And before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can submit those to any of our hosts by visiting americaoutloud.com forward slash nurses out loud. From there, you can select the name of the nurse you'd like to direct it to from our drop down menu. We would love to hear from you. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you're able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. Joining me today to help make sense of this strange new phenomenon is someone who truly needs no introduction. He is a world-renowned cardiologist, epidemiologist, and internist. He is one of the global leaders in the medical response to the COVID-19 disaster and co-author of a newly published book, The Courage to Face COVID-19 preventing hospitalization and death while battling the biopharmaceutical complex. He also hosts the very popular radio show, The McCullough Report, right here on America Out Loud Talk Radio. And he just so happens to be one of my favorite human beings and a personal hero of mine. Dr. Peter McCullough, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Kim, it's an absolute pleasure to be on the other side of the microphone for you. And congratulations on launching such a successful program on the platform. I'm getting so much positive feedback from people all over the yeah. world. Thank keep you. up the keep up the great work. We need this. The, the country needs this. The world needs this. The importance of nurses and and the practical reassurances and the practical analysis uh, to help guide people through, you know, hopefully to close this crisis. We we have to be making progress there. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's, and thank you, because, you know, you're one of the very few physicians that really acknowledges the nurses and, you know, really feels that we do have a voice in this fight. And you're, you're definitely uh, one that is, is encouraging of us to get involved. And we certainly appreciate that. 
But there's no, you know, there's no shortage of topics that we could cover, certainly. You know, I, I think that I really want to hone in on a couple of them and get your thoughts um, on those. But before we dig in, have you yourself um, had a chance to listen to the show? I know you're so busy, but I was wondering if you've listened to it yet. Yes, I sure have. It's been great. Excellent. Okay. I just want to make sure. All right. So listen, let's start with the elephant in the room, right? The sudden cardiac deaths. What do you make of this? Like, why are so many still adamantly insisting that they are completely unrelated to this jab? Let's just take a, a, a 20,000 foot view on this. I think this is important. <clears throat> With the COVID-19 pandemic, as it swept in, in 2020, United States data, we had 250,000 deaths. And the CDC has always said about 10% of those are adjudicated only as COVID pneumonia that's fatal. And 90% it's COVID illness plus other things in the causal pathway to death, like obesity, heart disease, lung disease, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, advanced age, et cetera. Yeah. So 250,000. And we had the, uh, the highly virulent uh, ancestral uh, Wuhan wild type wave and then the alpha wave. Then the COVID-19 center. <clears throat> and then what we have there, Kim, is we now through 2021 and 2022, for COVID, we amass more than 800,000 deaths. So the vaccines clearly didn't reduce COVID mortality. They didn't make the pandemic go away. That's for sure. In fact, it got way worse because we were on pace for 250 a year and the COVID deaths actually picked up since mass vaccination. Now the disturbing news is coming in that every single data set, every single life insurance data set, every single uh, national um, uh, statistics center in the world, uh, health insurers, they're all seeing a rise in all-cause mortality. And this is very, very disturbing. All-cause mortality, former BlackRock uh, manager, now independent consultant, very knowledgeable in the insurance industry. Ed Edward Dowd has analyzed this and presented this publicly. I recently had him testify in the U.S. Senate on December 7th, 2022 with Josh Sterling, who's an insurance company analyst. And it was clear that all-cause mortality is going up. More people are dying now than have ever died in in recent years in, in memory. And we, I mean, we have people keeping track of this data, but so it's always so funny to me to hear people say, oh, you know, it's, it's always been this way. It's just that you're noticing it more now. No, <laughs> we have people that actually track this type of data and it is clear that it is uh, exponentially um, more death in the well, last two years. We can drill down on this. And one of the things that listeners have gotten used to with me is is to try to be as as evidence based as precise with the data. That way, people can look at it themselves and they can, uh, you know, simply do their own appraisal for this. But <clears throat> I was impressed with a report that came out of uh, a German insurer, and uh, it's on my newly recovered Twitter feed. So I'm just scrolling back here. Yes, welcome back to Twitter. <laughs> Welcome back. You know that song. Uh, <laughs> Welcome back, Cotter. I know I'm showing my age. These young people won't know what that is. I know, but that was a famous uh, song. In fact, I put that out on Instagram. But um, 
the German insurance data, which I thought uh, were impressive, and I'll get to a second, get to it in a second. Clearly, within their um, what they call um, covered lives, so they know here it is right here. This is uh, presented by the National Association of Statu- Statuary Statutory Health Insurance Physicians (KBV) in Germany. They insure 72 million lives. I mean, this is really substantial. And they have death in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. So they know the, the what's called the crude death rates. And they are creeping up over time from about 4,300 uh, to 4,400 in 2016 to about 6,100, 6,300 in 2020. So there is an actual rise with the age of the population. Um, but now we pop into the vaccines and it doubles. It actually goes up to 15,000, 13,000, 14,000. So they've already accounted for all the causes of death. What people need to know is that before COVID, 40% of the deaths were due to heart disease, 40% due to cancer, and 20% due to other causes. Now, in 2021, this goes up, and all the extra deaths that are happening, Kim, is exactly what you said. They're coded here. I'll read them off for you. Sudden cardiac death. Cardiac arrest unspecified, sudden death, death occurring within less than 24 hours after onset of symptoms, not otherwise specified, death without presence of other persons, other causes of death, vague or unspecified. So it's clear the new step up in death, and every life insurance company shows this, is due to these sudden cardiac deaths. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing to me that people, but why do you think that, you know, it's still people are defending this vaccine, you know, and still just completely unwilling to even consider that it could be related? Well, we have to go to analyses of, you know, when these deaths occur, the shortcoming of all of this is to report who got the vaccine and who didn't. Now in Germany, the vast majority of people took the vaccine and, you know, you could arrive at this conclusion that, in fact, the vaccine is the new population exposure. But it would be nice to know in these cases, did this person exactly, this exact person receive the vaccine? And so uh, indeed, a German study has come through recently by Schwab and colleagues. And it, it looked at patients who took the vaccine and they were found dead at home within 20 days. So it's pretty clear they took it, something happened. And they did autopsies. And 71% of the time, they found a fatal blood clot myocarditis, something clearly the vaccine caused. So and there was, a, you know, there was a few cases of a drug overdose or suicide that's, you know, probably completely unrelated. But what we know now, the science would tell us the next person who dies out there and there's no antecedent illness, there's no cancer, no known heart disease, no, uh, there was no drug overdose, suicide, no homicide, no motor vehicle accident. They just die. And we see this now every day. It is the vaccine until proven otherwise. And I've done a mini documentary with Dr. Asim Malhotra in the UK, uh, where we go through the information and we have uh, concluded that these deaths are due to the vaccine until proven otherwise. Now, it's time for the families to step up. This is the Nurses Out Loud message. If, If there's a sudden death in one's family, come on out and tell us. Did they take the vaccine or not? Even if it was, you know, a month ago or 15 months ago, we need to know. The vaccines uh, do have a mechanism that can be related to death, either through 
fatal vaccine-induced myocarditis, a scar, and then vertical tachycardia, vertical fibrillation, and sudden death. Or the other pathway is a fatal pulmonary embolism, a blood clot that shoots to the lungs. Yeah, and I think I feel like we're seeing it definitely more with the boosters. What are your thoughts about the initial rollout of, of the vaccine? Uh, do people maybe that only received one or two doses and you know, they've they've not had any adverse events at all? What are your thoughts? Do you feel like they are completely out of the woods right now? Do you feel like they need to do a detox of some kind, or, or uh, do you think that they're fine if they're not experiencing any um, events? I'm so worried about them, Kim. I'm very worried. The wild card here is people took one or two shots or <clears throat> even three shots and the shots don't work. So they still get COVID. Yeah. So with, with the shots and with COVID, the body's getting repeated exposures to the spike protein. The spike protein is the lethal part of the virus. It's the, it's the stick on the ball of the virus. It's, it's loaded with all kinds of dangerous potential to cause brain damage, heart damage, cause blood clots. There's 1,250 papers and the peer-reviewed published literature on this, it's it's incontrovertible. The spike protein is, is very, very dangerous. And to get multiple exposures to it, you're raising the issue is, is there cumulative toxicity? And I think the answer is yes. I I used to tell people, listen, if you get more than a year after these shots, you're good. It's 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 you know water under the bridge. But I was disturbed by two patients in my office recently who had the shots uh, 18 months ago, didn't take any more. Uh, did develop COVID uh, maybe six months ago. And then sure enough, both of them developed near fatal blood clots and pulmonary emboli need blood thinners. So uh, I'm not seeing a safe threshold yet where people are out of the woods, particularly for cardiac arrest and blood clots. I do think some of the other things go away. Uh, The neuropathy, brain frog, the tinnitus or ringing in the ear, skin rashes, lymph node swelling. I, I think those things can go away, but I'm still worried about uh, you know, longer term risks now of blood clots and heart damage. Yeah. And I think it's what's interesting to me is that people would get the shots and they would get both of the shots and then they would get the booster and then another booster. And you know, they thought they think, oh well it's just fine. I'm not dead. So that's great. But here's the thing. It's like they get COVID despite getting the injection. They get the jab, they get COVID anyway. And then they end up developing all of these different symptoms and they blame it on like long COVID. And to me, it's, it's vaccine injury. That's my take on it. What do you think? It becomes a blend. I mean, people now have this confusion. So they've had both COVID and they've had the vaccine and they don't feel good. What we know there is with COVID, it has become progressively milder. So going from the wild type strain to Omicron, it's a milder virus. That'd be the first observation. All experts agree. And then early treatment's gotten better. So as we use early treatment, we limit the amount of systemic invasion of the virus so that there's not that, hopefully that much spike protein that gets in the body. It's fought off. The battleground is the nose. With the vaccines, the vaccines haven't gotten any milder. It's still a very heavy dose of messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA. It still is a massive exposure of spike protein, which if we use the antibody rise as a surrogate, one gets more spike protein with the vaccine than they ever would with COVID. So, um, you know, but not only that, but with the vaccine is a mandatory two shots, then people are getting three, four or five shots. So if you look at it uh, and you look at the, the range of pathologies that we're seeing, I'd be more inclined to attribute it to the vaccine as you are than to COVID. And it's pretty ridiculous in someone who's had both 
to not say, listen, it's both. Yeah, but, yeah. but you know, somebody shouldn't have both. Either the vaccine should work and they shouldn't get COVID or we shouldn't be using the vaccine and it would just be COVID alone. Absolutely. I completely agree with you, but nobody, you know, they just don't want to see it. But, you know, another issue that I really wanted to touch on while I have you with us is it's the blood supply. You know, I've been, I've been talking about this for a really long time, and I, I was always asking the question, you know, why is nobody talking about this? Why are we not talking about how we are completely tainting our blood supply? Now, I'm glad to see that there seems to be a little bit more of a, a rise in awareness on this topic, if you will. I know that you're aware of baby Alex, um, who was born in 2021. He had a congenital heart defect, um, and it was one that had a survivability rate of around 95%. And when he was anemic, physicians recommended a blood transfusion. And the parents agreed to that, but they really um, only wanted the baby to have unvaccinated blood. So they went through all of the appropriate channels, all of the protocols to procure this directed donation. Um, but apparently the nurses and doctors, when it came time to do that transfusion, oddly enough, they couldn't locate that va unvaccinated blood and instead used whatever they had in stock in their blood bank. And they did that without the consent of the parents. And then unfortunately, shortly after the transfusion, the baby developed a large blood clot that ran from his knee all the way up to his heart. And they placed him on blood thinners to no avail. And very sadly, baby Alex passed away just 12 days later. Now, and many are concerned, I, I think, and rightly so, but the blood, the, I'm sorry, the Red Cross, just as recently as last week in response to an inquiry on social media, they insisted that there is no evidence whatsoever that that spike protein travels in the bloodstream. Do you care to weigh in on that? Yeah, well, just the, the blood story goes back to the spring of 2021 when this was raised. We learned of a transfusion reaction and I band together with pathologists, Michael Robles and Michelle Schiller in Dallas. And we wrote the American Association of Clinical Blood Banking, as well as American Red Cross and then Carter Blood Center here in Dallas. We said, listen, we're concerned uh, that the, the vaccinated are donating blood and both messenger RNA or spike protein could get into the um, donated blood. And it took months to get a response back from American Red, Red Cross and the, uh, the Association of Blood Banking. And they said, yes, we, we, we recognize your concerns. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. Nothing happened. And so then papers came forward, one by Vertig and colleagues, showing that the messenger RNA is physically in the blood circulating for 14 days, 15 days. And that's as long as they've looked. The curves didn't go down. Uh, the spike protein, as shown by Elena Ogata in Harvard, circulates for about a month. But again, it doesn't go down. It, it could be even longer. Uh, we know by Rolkin and colleagues at Stanford that the messenger RNA is stuck in lymph nodes for at least two months, but it may be forever. And then, um, and, and then finally, Bruce Patterson at Incel DX looks at spike protein inside CD16 positive monocytes. And what Bruce says is he can see it in the white blood cells for as long as he's looked. No one's actually ever shown that the messenger RNA or the spike protein gets out of the body and completely clears. That's in, an, in a vaccinated person or even in an unvaccinated person. No one's shown it actually gets out of the body. This is a little bit spooky. So there may be uniform contamination of the blood supply, either with messenger RNA or spike protein or both. And there's a recent uh, University of Texas at Houston uh, School of Public Health study showing 99% seroprevalence now 
when we measure antibodies against a, you know, a high-grade epitope in the spike protein. Framingham heart study showed 98%. Uh, water supply data show in the wastewater, uh, SARS-CoV-2 is like everywhere right now. So we may have a universality of exposure. So uh, people have been worried about getting uh, a blood transfusion, thinking themselves that they are pure <coughs> and that someone donating it you know, has an impurity, whereas we, we may actually um, basically all have this in us. So people have said, well, Dr. McCullough, what should we do? Um, I, I would say this much that, um, that blood transfusion, first off, is pretty rare. And um, uh, so yeah, that would be the first uh, observation. Number two, it's never fun to get a transfusion. One has to be pretty darn sick to get a transfusion. You remember yeah. from your inpatient nursing days. And, um, you know, I, you know, I still have patients that uh, I had a patient recently who needed, um, you know, needed a uh, transfusion after cardiac surgery. We had this discussion and he just had to go for it. I mean, that was, you know, that was his, you know, his, that's how he needed to survive basically. So, um, and, and then the last thing to consider is uh, what are we really talking about? You know, the CDC is saying, and I'm looking for the data right now, I'm going to go with the most recent one that they, they had um, uh, up there, but the CDC had basically um, indicated that the percent vaccinated uh, in the United States through 2022 is at 82% of women, 77% of men have had at least one dose. Wow. CDC is saying, and this is as of December 14th, Kim, that 70% of women and 66% of men have completed the primary series and then we're down to 15% of women and 12% of men have taken a booster. So that's where we are. So, you know, I, I imagine these, the converse of that is who's truly untouched. It could be as much as, it could be 18% of women and 23% of men are truly untouched with this vaccine, but they may have had COVID anyway. So my analysis on this is blood banking, by the way, is very complex. I want everyone to understand this. There's what's called type and screen. We have to check for all kinds of major or minor antigens. Uh, even, and I think women know this, even when a mother has a baby, the blood doesn't match. We, if there's mixing of blood, we have to use Rogam. So each person has a unique blood type and configuration of antigens. So even if a, if a brother wanted to donate blood to a sister, they may not match up very well. So this directed blood donation has never worked out very well because of the antigen mismatch. And some of the acute um, antigenic uh, transfusion reactions can be fatal. So what I tell patients that, listen, transfusion is a medicine, is a complicated part of medicine. Get a standard type, <coughs> cross type and match and go with it. And that's going to be the best you can do as opposed to trying to direct vaccinated or unvaccinated donors. Yeah. Or, you know, me personally, I, you know, I've thought I've given this a, a great deal of thought. I don't think, you know, I hopefully will not be put in this position, but if I were, um, honestly, I don't think 
that I would take the transfusion. I think I would just, I would just deny it. I would refuse the transfusion and, and let God do whatever he wants to in that situation. Um, but that's just me. I think that everybody should be really well informed and then just come to, you know, whatever decision they're most comfortable with. Um, but I, I agree with you on your assessment. I mean, Kim, you could look at it this way, and that would be a, a, a typical decision for a Jehovah's Witness. Exactly. It would be no different than being a Jehovah's Witness. And we we do different strategies. A patient I had in my office, he had an acute aortic regurgitation, he needed a surgery. There was an attempt to try to revalve, repair the valve to try to you know, avoid him getting a mechanical valve for the rest of his life. He's a young man. It didn't work out. The blood was oozing. Blood was oozing. Use the cell cipher, using everything we possibly can. And then he needed a mechanical aortic valve and he needed six units of blood. He just had to take it. And uh, I may do some testing later on. He was somebody who was unvaccinated. He didn't want vaccinated blood, but I, t- I just told him, listen, this is too hard. Right now, a transfusion is to save life. By the way, blood is only screened for about nine diseases. Yeah. It's not as clean as what people think. Yeah. So there's still many bloodborne diseases one could acquire, and hopefully by you know by good luck and everything else you don't get it. But um, the blood supply isn't as perfect as what people think. I don't think anything in healthcare is as perfect as what people think. <laughs> not these days, anyway. Certainly not. Um, I think one more thing that I really wanted to touch on before we uh, get ready to head to break. Um, what are your thoughts on? I, I'm, go- I'm actually going up to New York City. I go tomorrow and I'm going to advocate for a firefighter up there that's going in for some surgery. And uh, they're not vaccinated. They asked me to be their medical advocate. I said, I'm happy to go ahead and do that. It's a friend of mine. I'm happy to do it. So now the hospital is saying that I cannot go in unless I am either showing proof of vaccine or um, I have a, a negative PCR test within five days. which I don't want to do, by the way. Um, So what are your thoughts on, you know, why why can't I just wear a mask? Because don't masks work? I mean. The thing here, Kim, is the hospitals have the American Hospital Association. They have JACO. You know about this, the Joint (laughs) for Accreditation. Uh, The nursing groups have standards. There's nursing centers of excellence. So if, if there's a hospital in Texas where none of that is needed, why would a hospital in New York require all that? Exactly. Why, we're three years into this. Can't we just set some national standards yeah. instead of having uh, the, the legal term that's applied to this, Kim, is called arbitrary and capricious, meaning, oh, one person says this, one person says that. And, and you know, why can't we have standards at this point in time? Uh, that, that, what's being done there? is something that wouldn't be deemed necessary somewhere else. And, and just think of what, what does the CDC say? The CDC says in the healthcare setting, the only thing that's needed is to wear a mask when you're getting face-to-face with someone with COVID. That's it. That's it. The CDC doesn't say take a test, doesn't say show a vaccine card, none of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the argument that I'm going to bring with me um, to the hospital. But I just find it very interesting that they are still continuing this again, like you said, nearly three years later, um, that we're still, you know, being asked to show proof of vaccination and and all of this. And meanwhile, I've already had COVID, as you know, um, back in August. So 
And uh, I'm not vaccinated, so I'm, I'm guessing my natural immunity will work just fine and my immune system will work beautifully. Yeah, I don't think you have any problems. You know, a good paper to quote on that is by Chin and colleagues, New England Journal of Medicine, October 2022. 59,000 prisoners, 17,000 uh, staff. So they're all in the enclosed congregate setting and they know every COVID case. And the bottom line is once somebody's already had COVID and they get a second infection, let's say you went up there and you did get exposed, zero risk of hospitalization and death, zero. Yeah. And that's, that's whether you took a vaccine or not. So natural immunity is very powerful. Uh, you know, I have a patient uh, in the last few days about COVID. The first thing I asked her is, did you have it before or is it the first time? The first time it could be rougher and we have to do a bit more of the McCullough protocol or FLCC or another protocol. Um, but the second one is just simply treated like a common cold. Yeah. Like I said, I don't, I don't, um, I was never afraid of the virus. I wasn't afraid of it the first time around. I'm not afraid of it now. So I, I think it'll be interesting. I will let you know how that goes. America Out Loud. Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa 24-7. Great Talk Radio. All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcasts, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. I'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and this is We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the povidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Out loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Let's jump right back in. We've been talking with Dr. Peter McCullough, 
Dr. McCullough, I wanted to share with you also this comment that was left uh, by one of our followers on Nurse Freedom Network. thought you might find this interesting. I was completely horrified. So Susie says, um, my dad was recently taken by ambulance to the ER. He has end-stage COPD and was having chest pains. He was not able to call and he was alone. A nurse gave him a jab and when he asked what she'd given him, she informed him it was the jab. He told her he didn't want it and she replied, well, I don't want COVID and I can't take it out anyway. So no consent was given. Basically, this nurse assaulted this patient. What are your thoughts about this? I mean, I reached out to this woman, you know, to see if I could provide her with some assistance and resources. She's looking, of course, for some legal recourse. And it turns out that the following day, her father, who had never uh, had any cardiac issues prior and who was not having any that night on assessment, uh, he ended up that following day having an MI, was rushed to the cath lab and had four stents placed. That was on December 1st, if I remember correctly. Um, and she also mentioned that despite never having any of these cardiac issues, that he now has a resting heart rate of around 128. And that's despite being on uh, beta blockers, he's on metoprolol. And I'm, I'm just increasingly horrified by this. What, are you, what is your thought on that? Wow, this looks like a call should go into the Truth for Health Foundation. That's exactly who I have in my, I'm going to refer her to. Exactly. That's what they deal with. Yeah, this is cool. effectively personal injury. Yeah. Uh, let's say, uh, let's say, a patient rolls into the hospital and there's a rogue nurse, and she says, "I don't like you," and gives them an injection of you know, five grams of Dilantin or something. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, when a nurse intentionally gives a, a medicine or a product to somebody against their will that causes harm, that's personal injury. Absolutely. That's not malpractice. Uh, that should not be covered or given any uh, liability protection from the CARES Act or the PrEP Act or anything else. That's personal injury. Absolutely. And it's assault. And that can't be undone. So I would go to Truth for Health. They do have legal staff on board and get going on that one. That one is uh, just, that's just horrible. Yeah. I, 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 it's one of the worst stories I've heard so far. I couldn't believe it. I was, I was absolutely shocked, but it be, and I, it's so, I can't believe I'm surprised by anything anymore in this like COVID clown world that we live in. Um, if you have been following along with the, the baby Alex story, I know that we were on DSRF uh, here the other night. And now that hospital, um, I think it's Sacred Heart in Washington State, they're trying to deny that that baby was ever even in that hospital, despite the fact that they have the bills, they have photos, all of that. They're saying, oh, no, he was never here. It's like we're living in some kind of warped universe or parallel uh, universe of some kind. I, I just don't understand it. It's absolute insanity. But I've, I've never heard of things like this happening before, but I'm just increasingly more horrified to hear how patients are being treated, you know, and these, and the deadly protocols, they're still using them. Just the other day, I heard of another remdesivir death. And I was actually kind of shocked. I didn't, I thought we had moved away from the remdesivir, but apparently not. That's still being used. The current statistics are, <clears throat> I still think about it, it has about a 25% use rate. So everybody has to be on guard to um, to fend off, you know, remdesivir if they don't want it. There's only one successful trials by Gottlieb and colleague. Gottlieb, one of my colleagues here in Dallas, 
and, and that's the outpatient early use of remdesivir where someone would come in for serial infusions. I've never done that in my clinical practice. It's too hard. It's too cumbersome. And I've always, where really sick patients use monoclonal antibodies or now just the oral drugs. So remdesivir in the hospital should not be used. The uh, the WHO is very clear on this, and they reevaluated their statement on this. And uh, they, they, in November of 2020, the WHO, after completing the largest trial, they had a conference and they had European Society of Critical Care ethicists, and because remdesivir had been used for several months, and they said, "Should we continue using it? Looks like it doesn't work." And the, the consensus was, "Do not administer remdesivir. It doesn't work." doesn't reduce mortality, and it causes kidney injury and liver damage. So they put out a strict warning, no use of remdesivir, period, WHO. The HHS uh, here in the United States actually tagged a 20% bonus on the reimbursement for the hospital admissions with remdesivir, incentivizing hospitals to use it, despite the fact that it didn't work in, in the poor safety profile. Then in Lancet, in May of 2022, the Solidarity Group, WHO Solidarity Group, reanalyzed all the data, including subsequent studies, and said, were we wrong? Did they actually make a wrong decision? And the answer is no. They were right to begin with. Remdesivir never should have been used. So we have these things going on, Kim, where um, people have to be disturbed. You know, Tell me, what do you think the inpatient nurses are thinking right now as they hang another you know, bag of remdesivir. That is what horrifies me. And I cannot understand it because, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. And at this point, you know, it didn't take me long to realize as I was seeing more and more of these cases in the ICU that, um, that weren't getting any better. They were, if, if nothing else, they were just worsening and worsening. Um, you typically going into kidney failure, uh, multi-organ, uh, you know, dysfunction. And I, I can't understand how nearly three years later, these nurses who are supposed to be critical thinkers are not putting this together, or if they are, that they're not speaking out. To me, that's horrifying. I, I don't even recognize this nursing profession any longer. It's but, the, but, but Kim, is there any chatter? Are, is there any chatter there? Do you sense that people say, wow, I feel guilty about what's going on or... or, or um, <clears throat> I don't, not, not in who's left. And I honestly not, I don't think so. I, I feel like they're either not talking about it because they don't want to admit that they're just complicit and they just want to go and get their paycheck or they're just so ignorant that they don't see it. You know, we honestly, I mean, I've been away from the bedside, as you know, for a while now, so I don't know what they're, they're talking about in the hospitals, but, and, and I'll tell you, none of the nurses really that I've worked with in the past, and despite having really good relationships with in, in the past, I they don't talk to me anymore. They uh, I never hear from them. I hardly ever hear from any of the nurses I worked with, which is really sad to me. And I thought so much of some of these nurses. They were really, I thought, well-educated. and But they're not speaking out. And like I said, they don't, they don't um, associate with me at all any longer. So... You know, I, I don't hear from any of my former doctor friends at all. Uh, not a call, not an email, nothing. <clears throat> I walk into the hospital every day and they look at the, the floor. Uh, they seem so ashamed, yeah. so guilty. I, you know, I don't intercept any little chatty conversations at all. Nothing. Uh, you'd think that some nurses would be talking and say, gosh, I feel really bad. We're giving remdesivir 
and, and we shouldn't. It's against the WHO guidance. Or someone say, gosh, you know, we just saw another vaccine-induced blood clot. Uh, in fact, there's just no discussion of it. People seem sick to their stomachs. I can tell you that when patients come see me in the office, it's usually a husband and wife. I sense so much tension in the room when I walk in. And I'll say, well, I'm Dr. McCullough. And they've been you know, waiting months for their appointments. And they say, Dr. McCullough, we've been waiting months to have our appointment. And we're not taking the vax. And that, you know, that'd be the first thing they, they get out. They want to establish the fact that they're not going to take the vaccine. And so patients are basically, at this point in time, they are heading for the hills on this. And the vaccine uh, uptake data I shared with you through December 14th, 2022, looks like it's about two th- about a third of America um, took the first two shots, uh, and that's it. So there's a lot of, that means a third of the country is, is saying, you know, there a third of the country has either just taken one shot and given up or they never took it. That's a lot. Yeah. And, and at this point in time, I don't know anybody who's unvaccinated who's going to start taking the vaccine. Oh, exactly. Can you imagine? <laughs> I don't think we reverse course at this point. But I mean, that says something. That says something, the, the amount of the people that are getting uh, or not getting these boosters. And I think that that means we're doing our job you know we're doing what we're supposed to do and we are reaching people even despite all of the heavy censorship on social media and you know we're we're highly censored everywhere you know that well um but people we're still reaching people or they're starting to wake up they're starting to uh, pull their head out of the sand which is which is good that's that's considered a good thing like you said people don't go um they don't go the other way once they come over to the side they don't go back so well, well, what do you think is going to happen now that this Twitter censorship has been dropped? I've been, uh, you know, graciously admitted back on Twitter. Steve yeah. Kirsch just yeah. got on today. Uh, Wayne Allen Root, who's a journalist and someone who's been uh, an advocate, uh, he just got on in the last few hours. You know, what happened to me is is um, I had uh, video evidence that they were unfollowing me. And so people say, Dr. McCullough, I tried to follow you, and they unfollowed. The, the Twitter would unfollow. And I, I watched my account would 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 not grow rapidly at all. It was almost as if there was some type of drag on my account. And we've learned there was shadow banning. There was uh, blacklisting. There was unfollow programs being run. And uh, they, they were essentially making it uh, completely uh, impossible to um, uh, to operate your Twitter account. So my Twitter account was essentially frozen at 512,000 followers. And it was a miracle I got to that level. They never would certify me. I must have applied for certification, uh, you know, dozens of times. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I think it was uh, this week, uh, let's say on Tuesday, I got reinstated and I was busy. I was giving a lecture somewhere, so I didn't know about it. I woke up the next morning and I had 534,000 followers. And you know where I am today, Kim? This oh, is, we're talking three days. Three days. Let me give you this scoop here. Uh, where am I at Twitter? In three days, I am currently at 691,000 followers. Wow. And they like that, you, Dr. McCullough. People like you. But that's three days, Kim. And I'm not very good at social media. In fact, I just tweeted something out 
It was something I said in the Joe Rogan interview. And then someone goes, well, Dr. McCulley, I forgot to tag Joe Rogan. I'm like, gosh, I'm just so terrible at social media. I can't even do the fundamentals. But um, uh, the, the bottom line is, uh, if they've in fact removed all of these impediments, our collective voice is going to in- be incredibly loud, Absolutely. incredibly loud. And through Twitter and through, and what happened when I was uh, off of Twitter, I built up my getter, my true social, my telegram accounts, and I made certain mistakes uh, along the way, uh, but you know those have grown. And uh, so my collective reach is even greater and greater. And I think what we'll see quickly is we're going to see a tide change. You've heard recently about Ron DeSantis in Florida announcing a grand jury. Yes. I am thrilled about this. I am thrilled to hear about this. And uh, and uh, Joseph Ladapo is is really they what they're doing in Florida is amazing. How they're protecting the people of their state. Um, so I wish more governors. I hope that Governor Lee here in Tennessee. I don't hold out much hope, but I hope that he'll do the same. And governors all across this country will start taking a deeper look. Do you think it'll happen? I think we're on the verge. I know in in Oregon there is a state senator. Senator Linthicum, who's pushing for a grand jury. And there seems to be a copycat nature in things that when one thing happens, then there's a whole bunch of copycat things. So, uh, you know, when, when, when the CDC mask guidance for airplanes was overturned, then quickly Uber dropped it and everybody else dropped it. And, uh, and maybe we'll see something here with this, um, with, uh, uh, with this grand jury and the grand jury can investigate. I, you know, people are asking me, what are they going to investigate? I said, why don't you investigate something easy like false advertising? And, and so the, the TV commercials uh, through these local TV stations that I think ultimately are responsible, they have commercials that say the vaccine is safe and effective. Just take it and protect your grandparents. Go, you know, go home for the holidays. And everyone knows you can't do that. Every drug advertised they always say what it does, and then it has to give fair, balanced information on safety. Yeah. They always do. Everyone knows that. There's disclaimers that are on these commercials. And so, uh, you know, false advertising or legal advertising will be the first thing that comes up. And, and you know, the, the defendants on this could be HHS or an inter- intermediary they're using for advertising. It could be Weber Shandwick. Uh, they're the PR marketing firm for Pfizer Moderna vaccines. Um, it could be Pfizer and Moderna directly themselves. They just can't do that. You can't say it's safe and effective and leave it at that. They always have to describe what's going on. Exactly. Well, I've been saying that since very early on, and that's actually why I resigned from my position after I left bedside. You know, I went and was doing telephone triage nursing, and we had a protocols or whatever we had to follow our guidelines. And if somebody were to call in and say, hey, should I get the COVID vaccine? Is it safe? Um, our, our answer to that is supposed to be yes, it is safe and effective, period. And I was like, wait a minute. How is this possible? How can I say that? That is not informed consent. Because I mean, as you know, we don't we, we'd have absolutely no way to know that anyway, because we had no safety data. And you know, since then, the safety data has clearly been very alarming, but there was no way that I was going to say, hey, these are safe and effective, period. That's never been a thing, like you said. Um, I don't understand how more people aren't awake to, to that or aren't noticing or aren't um, refusing to say things like this is safe and effective when clearly 
we know better that we have no way of knowing. It's astonishing to, to be asked to do that, right? As a nurse, say it's safe and effective without giving the side effects. Everyone knows that not, no single medicine or vaccine is perfectly safe for everybody. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so these gross violations of what's considered um, uh, GCP, good clinical practice, or bioethics, uh, I, I think there's going to be efforts to go after it pretty quickly. And, and they're, they're simple things, right? So no one could, could argue that, that, well, this is, it's fine to advertise, or this is an emergency, and it's emergency use authorization that's not subject to advertising rules. Um, I don't think that's the case. They actually don't use the word advertising in the law. They use promotion, pharmaceutical promotion. And that's what this is, is promotion. People aren't buying these vaccines. The government's buying them, but they're being promoted and they're being promoted illegally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we are going to see, we're already starting to see the lawsuits against um, the remdesivir and Gilead. We're, seeing, we're starting to see that against hospital systems and physicians. And I know that they're going to be coming from the nurse. They're going to be coming from the nurses. They are. Um, and, and I think that they should. Honestly, I really feel like they should. I, I can't even stand up and try to protect my brothers and sisters in the nursing profession because to me, they've completely dropped the ball. They're not doing their job. They, they have abandoned their post. They're, they're not protecting these patients uh, the way we have come to expect nurses to do. You know, I knew as an ICU nurse, we, we're their last line of defense many, many times all the time, really. And you, you, you really truly start to feel like, and you can understand how when you're that uh, critical care nurse, how razor thin that like line between life and death is. And you're like on that line as the guardian. That's extremely, that's an important, that's an enormous responsibility to have. Right? And I just can't understand these nurses who won't speak up and won't stand for these patients. It's so heartbreaking to me. Um, but I, I think that they're going to be coming for these nurses and and nothing is going to, I was just following orders. It's not going to save them and it shouldn't. Especially when it's a gross violation of clinical practice. I mean, another example would be giving a third trimester pregnant woman a COVID-19 vaccine. Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, no pregnant woman should ever take an experimental genetic vaccine, period. Yeah. But now here's a vaccine that is known to cause fever in a significant number of people who take it. Fever is a known precipitant for early labor, yeah. premature labor, and, and prematurity. I mean, that is gross misconduct to ever give a, a third trimester pre pregnant woman a vaccine. And so, you know, these types of things, everyone's going to have to look through. Uh, you know, we're going to have uh, meeting after meeting, case after case, review after review uh, of how medical practice became so unbelievably distorted and dangerous for patients. Oh, it's horrifying. Yeah, I, I again, I was saying earlier, I'm just completely horrified. And that's why it's like hospitals, it seems like they're the new killing fields, you know, and this is a, a system that I won't ever be able to return to as a nurse, and most definitely not as a patient. Um, yeah. I can't do it. But, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about the work that we're doing. And we're working really hard to launch remnant nursing to allow us to truly be able to care for our patients. And it's really desperately needed because patients are afraid to go to hospitals. And I do not blame them. I mean, this is they have the absolute right to be afraid. They should be afraid. Um, patients are dying and they're not dying anywhere but in our hospitals.
It's true. I can tell you people are doing everything they can to stay out of the hospital. I I would as well, but we worry. I mean, when things happen, there are uh, you know issues that happen. One of my patients recently developed rhabdomyolysis on statin, yeah. and uh, that was uh, unsettling, but she was in the hospital. She got pretty sick, went into renal failure. And uh, boy, oh boy, uh, you know, she, she doesn't want to be vaccinated. And as far as she know, they, she, she knew they didn't give the vaccine. But, you know, I, I'd say in the final minutes here that the, you know, the bright hope is we just had U.S. Senate testimony. I co-moderated with Senator Ron Johnson, um, multiple esteemed scientists, doctors. We vetted this vaccine safety data. And then the final conclusions were pull the COVID-19 vaccines off the market, all of them. Pull them off the market. Within two days, member of parliament in the UK, Andrew Bridgen, uh, put in a formal call to remove these off the market. Christine Anderson, member of parliament in the EU, same thing, and now in India calls. So I think we're going to hear this clear worldwide signal that we've had enough and we've got to get these off the market. I'm I'm absolutely appalled that they're not they haven't been pulled off of the market and more so that they're giving them to babies they're giving it to children with no safety data and again this is the children are at negligible risk and the the shots themselves I mean they are long on risk and zero virtually zero benefit from these shots I cannot understand it and just real briefly before we um before we end our our interview here we just have just a few minutes left but I was thinking about the incentivized healthcare, and as you know, when you came out here and you spoke at our um, fundraiser and our patients' rights rally in Franklin, Tennessee, um, that would, the reason we did that was because we are trying to fight back and stand against incentivized healthcare. Um, we feel like this should be illegal. What are your thoughts? Do you think what can we do to make the practice of incentivized healthcare um, illegal and unthinkable? Well, you know, there's been a great interest in conflict of interest for years, <clears throat> meaning that oh, if a pharmaceutical company comes and they bring the nurses lunch, you have to sign all these forms and declare what the value of the lunch was. <clears throat> and they were not paying attention to the giant conflicts of interest that, you know, the big pharmaceutical companies may offer giant rebates to hospitals, you know, millions and millions of dollars to feature more expensive products or less effective products. And they certainly weren't paying attention to conflict of interest from the government. So all the government dollars that went into hospitals were figured, they're good dollars. So all the Medicare, Medicaid dollars, no one ever thought, well, gosh, that's conflict of interest. Now comes COVID-19 and we have COVID countermeasure funding, uh, this, this, this kind of free money that just started to flow into hospitals and hospital administrators started getting bonuses and, and they quickly got in line to what the government narrative was. And I think the biggest government bribe of all is the COVID Community Core Project. And that was in 2021. It's also uh, it's under the uh, um, quotation marks, we can do this, end quotes. And there, the White House and Department of Health and Human Services uh, bribed hospitals and organizations, Hollywood, sports teams, churches, uh, with $13 billion to push the vaccines. 13 billion, the bribe of the century. 
Unbelievable. And, you know, I think that's another thing um, and possibly another reason why some of the nurses were keeping so quiet. You know, during the height of COVID, you know, we had a lot of nurses that were deployed to these, you know, hotspots like New York City and in Texas for a while. And these travel nurses, I was getting the text all the time. I did not end up going. I, I really felt very passionate about staying right here and helping the people in my own community because um, these are our our communities, our family, our friends, our neighbors, you know, who's going to take care of them? Because we had one nurse after the next leaving, you know, to go travel. And, but they were paying these nurses more than some physicians in many cases. And I hated to think about it like this, but, you know, is it, maybe they didn't want the pandemic to end because they are making bank off of this. It's, I mean, COVID's a billion dollar industry no matter what way you look at it. But I would hope that the nurses would not stay in complicit silence because they were making, you know, great money. I think we're all, we've been underpaid and undervalued for years as nurses. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't have been making that money, but I wonder how much of, of the, the reason that they incentivized that travel so much was to keep the nurses in line and keep them quiet. I think a lot of it, looking back, a lot of that money did exactly what it intended to do. They wanted to push these vaccines at all costs. Uh, I think it was intentional to make uh, people have suffering, hospitalization and death. It was intentional. And they basically told people, listen, if you don't take a vaccine, uh, you're not going to live. And they created this, this situation that's been now uh, the biggest crime of all time in humanity. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so proud and grateful to stand with you in this fight. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all the time that we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses as we walk you through all of these hot topics. We are going to empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton, and you can find me here every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern and with an encore again at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. We want to empower and encourage others to do the same. We are in a war for the truth. We're putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. Join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time and this is.